Well, good morning. Welcome to Substance Church. If you are new or visiting with us uh, for the first time today, my name is Mark. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. And we are so glad that you could join us this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the back as our gift to you. Or if you feel more comfortable in just following along with your device, uh, we use the ESV version. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. We're going to get there shortly. So last week, Pastor Ronnie uh, did a fantastic job last week. As always, he gave us a definition of hope. Do you guys remember what that definition of hope was for you note takers? Hope, he said, is a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises. He shared with us what it means to have a reborn hope. And this morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, taking a closer look at what hope looks like in suffering. Thank you, Pastor Ronnie, for this sermon. <laughs> Next week will be hope and our holiness, and then we'll end with abiding hope. So, but this morning, we get to see what God's word says about hope in suffering. So follow along with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Hear from the word of the Lord. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven." things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, my question for you today is, um, what is your perspective of suffering? See, I grew up Roman Catholic. Christian in name only, really. And this is how it would roll in my Uh, family's house. So uh, when 
things would happen to us that were out of our control at times, and we would uh, get some bad news. Maybe it was a health issue, maybe it was something else, maybe it was a hardship, my dad was laid off, that sort of thing. The way that my family would respond and the way that I was taught in that was to, to respond to suffering and to think that, oh my gosh, I must have done something wrong. I haven't done enough. And this is why this particular trial that we're going through is taking place. So basically we felt guilty. But then there's the flip side of that. The flip side of that is there would be times where we thought we're doing awesome. We're doing great. This is amazing. Life is going so well. There's no trials. There's no hardship. There's nothing happening in our lives. Everything's good. And then wham, unexpectedly we would get hit. And my parents' response was this, and they taught me the same, was, well, if God isn't doing anything for us and he's not helping us, we're not going to help him. And that translated into not going to church on Sunday mornings. That translated into bitterness and anger and frustration that this was happening and that God must have gotten the wrong address. You know what? I'll be honest with you. There are still times where I can fall prey to those views. Feeling guilty and not doing enough. Or feeling bitter and anger and saying, God, what, what's your problem? Can't you see I'm working here? But if we're all honest, we all have that view of suffering, don't we? Where we're going along in life, things are great, and all of a sudden we think, uh, God, I think you got the wrong address. I think you should have got the guy that I didn't like at work. That's what you should have got. So, now you might be asking yourself, you know what, I came to church to hear a joyful message. I mean, isn't this the most wondrous time of the year as we've been hearing the songs being played over and over again in the stores as we shop, right? <laughs> Why on earth are you talking about suffering? Where's the joy in Christmas? Where's that message? Look, I understand. But let me encourage you, as I've encouraged myself over and over again, every Christmas, that no amount of Christmas cheer, no amount of presents or gifts or parties or friends or family or cheesy holiday movies or crazy family gatherings will be able to sustain you in times of trial and suffering. You know this. In this life, death does not go on a holiday. Cancer 
in disease do not wait for when we are ready. We have family we wished we kept in touch with, and then we have family that we wished did not keep in touch with us. We've got broken relationships, don't we? Broken relationships don't go on pause during this time of year. If anything, they increase. See, real hope, as we will see here shortly, is what sustains God's people through our troubles and trials. It's a hope not rooted in our wants or our desires, not in our situations or our circumstances, but in a person, and his name is Jesus. So here's the big idea of our passage this morning. If you're taking notes, this is what you're gonna wanna write down. God's people get to have a gritty hope in the midst of suffering because God sent his suffering servant, Jesus. And Peter gives us, I believe, two major lessons on suffering. We can have hope in the midst of our suffering and all kinds of trials because of our suffering servant, Jesus, verses six through nine. And we can have hope in the midst of our suffering and all kinds of trials, knowing that others before us suffered. Verses 10 through 12. I love 1 Peter. I love it. If you ever want to understand a biblical understanding of suffering, read 1 Peter and read it again and read it again and let the word of God sink deep into you because that is what is going on in 1 Peter. 1 Peter weds this idea of hope and suffering together. And that's the Christian life, ready? right? Always sorrowful yet rejoicing. They are under persecution of their faith and for their faith as they follow Jesus. They were rejected by friends and family. They're going through all kinds of trials that are beyond their control. And so Peter writes to the church to remind them of their true hope in times of trial and suffering. So our first point, we can have hope in the midst of our suffering and all kinds of trials because of our suffering servant, Jesus. So Peter starts out in verse six, this you rejoice, in this you rejoice. What is Peter referring to? He's referring to all that he has said prior to what we're gonna get into now. Specifically verses three and five. Pastor Ronnie shared this last week. Do you remember? Our hope is a living hope. It's full of buckets of mercy. A hope not dead but alive because Jesus is alive. A salvation that has a glorious inheritance. A hope filled with an inheritance that is imperishable. It will never die. It's undefiled. It will, it will never become impure and always remain holy unfading, it will never wear out or lose its brilliance. And it's kept in heaven for us. 
And by God's unbelievable sustaining power, we are protected, regarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed when Christ returns. In this, we rejoice. Amen? Verse six again, in this you rejoice. Peter goes on, though now for a little while, that little while there is referring to our short life here on earth. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel as so short. (laughs) But it is. If necessary, if necessary means, which means that God's people are not exempt from suffering, from trials, from hardships in this world. He goes on to say, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is Peter saying? Here's what he's saying. By God's sovereign, providential care for his people, suffering, listen, It's not meaningless. It's not meaningless. God uses the sufferings and various trials in our lives to demonstrate to our friends and family and coworkers and neighbors, and yes, even enemies around us, that our faith is real. It's real that our hope is sure and steadfast. Listen, when a follower of Jesus holds on to Jesus, even when their situation does not change or gets better, that shows the world around them that our faith is real, that Jesus is real. Advent is a celebration of Jesus' first coming. And we look with expectation for his second coming. He truly lived. He truly died on the cross. And he truly resurrected from the grave and ascended back to the Father conquering death as we have sung already, conquering sin and suffering and sorrow, suffering and trials are not meaningless. Let me share with you personally, most of you, not all of you know my story, that I was in full-time vocational pastoral ministry for eight years. I pastored two different church plants. My dream at that time was, I'm going into ministry. I'm going to have a 30-year full-time vocational pastoral ministry. God's gonna bless it, it's gonna multiply, it's gonna be great, and so on. 
My first church that I pastored, a year after we left, the church closed. The second church that I pastored, I closed. So here's the, here's the moment. I'm in my study, downstairs in our house, and I'm, I'm really at the end of what I'm supposed to do. I'm hunched over, my hands are in my face, and tears are coming down my face. And I'm asking the Lord, what now? What's my purpose? What do I do? Where do I go from here? I'm looking at an application to apply to a church and I'm going, I can't do it. It's too hard. What do I do now? And by God's grace, I looked down at my Bible at that moment and I read in Psalm 138, seven through eight. Listen to these words. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. And then listen to this next line. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. It was a kiss from the Lord. It was a kiss from the Holy Spirit saying to me, I know you're hurting, Mark. I know you feel lost right now and purposeless and jobless and no community. But your purpose in this life is to know me no matter what happens in your life. I am your hope, not ministry, not a growing church, not a pulpit ministry, not a suffering free life. Listen, you can, you can relate to this, can't you? Have you ever had to die to a dream? You put all your energy and all your eggs in one basket and you said, that's my hope. And then it's taken away from you. And then your world just falls apart. Listen to what Hosea 6, chapter 6, verse 1 says. Come, let us return to the Lord. Brace yourself, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will 
bind us up. That is a promise, church. And then in verse three, he says this, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. That is what we do in suffering and in trials. That is what the Christian does, is that we know the Father and we press in to know the Lord. Because his going out, he says, is sure as the dawn, he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Amen? James chapter four says something similar. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Listen, church. The enemy does not have the last word over our trials, over our suffering, over our hardships, or over whatever we're facing. The Lord wants to show a world without hope. That our hope, even in our suffering, even in a time of trial, even in a time of deep heartfelt loss, and I know there are some here that have experienced that and are going through it right now. That our gritty hope can be found in Jesus. And Christmas brings this good news. So what will our hope in suffering look like to those around us? Our love and joy in and for Jesus, prayerfully, by God's grace, that's what they'll see. Look at verse eight with me again. Though you have not seen him, See, these people did not see Jesus' bodily resurrection. They didn't see, they didn't witness it. They heard from others that did, like Peter, but they didn't see it. And then Peter goes on to say, you love him. You love Jesus. Though you do not now see him, basically in this life, in this trial, in this time of suffering, and then he goes on to say, you believe in him. You have faith and hope in him. And then he goes on to say, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, <clears throat> obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, our hope in suffering manifests itself in our deep abiding love and inexpressible joy for Christ. So that when people say, oh my gosh, look at what has happened to you. Your world seems to be falling apart. What do you, why do you have this joy? Then as Peter later says, in 1 Peter chapter three, when somebody asks you, then you can give them the reason for that hope and pointing them to Jesus 
with gentleness and respect. See, God's people get to have a gritty hope in the midst of suffering because God sent his suffering servant, Jesus. Secondly, we can have hope in the midst of our suffering in all kinds of trials, knowing that others before us have suffered. Look with me there in verses 10 through 12, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, referring to the Holy Spirit in them, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Listen, God is the God of all grace throughout all of Scripture. All of Scripture. He is not a God of wrath in the Old Testament and he is not a God of grace in the New Testament. He is a God of grace throughout all of Scripture. His grace is seen throughout the Scriptures, promising and pursuing his people, reminding him that he will send himself he will send himself in the flesh. This is all in the Old Testament. And that he will come and has come in the new. And he will come again in the book of Revelation and in other places in the scriptures. The Old Testament prophets from Moses to Malachi preached that Jesus the prophet, the priest, and the king would come to save his people from their sins. This is just a smattering of what this looks like. In Genesis, he is the promised offering to come who will crush the head of the serpent and through him all peoples who trust in him will be blessed. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb who saves his people from judgment and provides redemption by setting them free from their slavery. In Deuteronomy, he's the promised prophet who will come and provide the way by becoming a curse for us and hung on a tree as a substitute for his people. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, he is the promised eternal king from the line of David whose reign and rule will last forever. In Isaiah, he is the promised suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. In Ezekiel, he is the good shepherd, the high priest who will gather his people and care for them and usher them into the new glorious temple himself, dwelling, his holy, dwelling in his holy presence forever. You starting to get the picture? And in Matthew 1, 21, 
we read, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in Revelation, he is the lamb who was worthy to be slain and worthy of all our worship and who will make all things new and right again and it will be better than it's ever been because there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more sour, so, sorrow, no more suffering. Nothing but pure joy because we will be in the presence of Christ and we will see him face to face, amen? So who are these suffering saints who had a gritty hope in God holding on to him no matter what? I thought of several, but we don't have that time. But here's three. There's Naomi from the book of Ruth who was embittered against God at the beginning of the book. She suffered loss of family lost her two sons and her husband because of famine in the land of Moab. But by the end of the book, she knows who her true redeemer is. It's the Lord of her grief. And she is filled with hope and thankfulness for his providential care, no matter how difficult it was for her. There's Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel who cannot have children at this particular time. Hannah, in her time of desperation, of wanting a child, she goes to the temple of the Lord to pray and she pours out her soul to God with so much energy, so much passion, so much Neediness that Eli, the priest, the fat priest, at that time thought she was drunk. And the Lord answers her prayer and blesses her with a son. And then there's the prophet Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it. He's still a prophet. And he's an interesting prophet because the book is about a conversation that he's having with God. And you get the feeling right off the bat that he's complaining to God of his situation. And he's asking the Lord, how long, O Lord? And the answer that God gives him makes the situation worse instead of better. But even though his situation does not change and even gets worse, he, by God's grace, chooses joy in the Lord, the God of his salvation. These are all pictures of God's people who had a gritty hope. Which one can you relate to? Maybe you're there right 
now. Maybe you took all the energy that you needed to get to church this morning because you're there. Maybe you're like Naomi and you are in a season right now of grief and you don't see a way out. It feels like your hope is hanging on by a thread. But be encouraged. Be encouraged because Christ sees you and he has you and he weeps with you. Humble yourself before him. Take his hand and he will bring you through your grief in his timing and in his way. For he is your true hope and redeemer. Maybe you're like Hannah and you have reached the end of your limit in what you can do and you wonder if God is even listening to your cries anymore for mercy. Humble yourself and pour out your soul to him and by God's grace, his spirit will comfort you and his in his timing, in his way, and he will answer you, for he is your hope. And lastly, maybe you're like Habakkuk. You're talking to God. You're having an ongoing conversation with him. You're crying out to him, but you cannot see him working anywhere in your life. You can't even find evidences of God's grace. You can't see him working and your situation has only grown worse instead of better. My encouragement to you is hold on to Jesus. Choose joy and hope in him rather than joy and hope in your situation. Choose joy and hope in him rather than joy and hope in your situation. Realize that he is your hope and trust in him no matter what because he will never leave you or forsake you. He promises that. And as you wait on the Lord, look at Psalm 130. Hope in the Lord. How do we hope in the Lord? We hope in his Word, we hope in his promises. This is why we have Christmas. We need to be reminded of this hope that we have in Christ, especially this time of year, but also every day of our lives. Church, our hope is not found in the gifts that we receive or the gifts that we give to others or family and friends, the parties we attend or don't attend. No, our hope by God's grace is not in things or in event, but in a person and his name is Jesus. I love this quote by Tim Keller 
from his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And if you are there, if you are in a trial and you can't see Jesus, I highly recommend the book, but don't read the first and second parts. Read the third part about what it looks like to walk with God in the fire of suffering and you will be blessed as I was. He says this, if the death of Jesus Christ happened to us and bore our hopelessness so that now we can have hope, and if the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened, then even the worst things will turn into the best things, and the greatest are yet to come. Or in the words of Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This church is the salvation angels long to look and to understand. This is the good news. God's people get to have a gritty hope in the midst of suffering because God sent his suffering servant, Jesus. And this morning, we're gonna celebrate communion. We get to celebrate communion and be reminded of what our suffering servant did on the cross for us through his life, death, and resurrection. He's no longer in the grave. He lives. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Listen, if you have not turned from your sin, from you wanting to be king and turned to Jesus who is the ultimate king, then we ask that you would just sit in your seats. Think about the truths that were preached to you this morning here. Think about those things. We're not trying to be cruel. We're not trying to single you out. But this table is a table for believers, all believers who have professed the name of Christ and have trusted in him, whose hope is in him. So just please remain in your seat and think about these truths and what God has for you. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he said to his disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same. He took the cup with his disciples and he said, this is is the cup of my blood which is being poured out for you. A new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. I want to invite the ushers to come up as I pray and we will um, have two lines coming here and then there will be a line in the back there. Grab some people, maybe some people you don't know, and celebrate communion with each other. Let me pray.
Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that our suffering is not meaningless. That for your children, for those who have professed the name of Christ, you use every trial, every suffering for our good and your glory. And Lord, I know that is so hard right now to understand that for some. But that is your promise. And that, Lord, when we are in the fire, we are not alone. That you are with us and that you weep with us because you are our suffering servant that lived, that died, and rose again and ascended to the Father. Lord, we need your strength. We need to know and to be reminded of that you are our hope. Not a situation, not an event, not a circumstance that we're going through, even if it's not changing. But you, Lord, will never change. You are the same today and forevermore. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.